How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Locked On Phillies podcast. I, of course, am your host, recent Temple Media School graduate and lifelong Philadelphia Phillies fan, Dan Wilson. Lots to get to here uh, on the episode today. Again, today is Friday, March 5th, 2021. In case you missed the game earlier today, the Phillies get a 3-0 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates at Baycare Ballpark in Clearwater. Uh, I already released episode one, so hope you had a chance to listen to that here on episode two, just because there was so much to recap here that went on this week. Uh, There's a number of stuff to get to here in the second episode. Again, in episode one, I talk about the bullpen and Matt Moore and Chase Anderson, the hitting of Alec Bohm and Bryce Harper, and all that fun stuff that we saw in today's game, and again, some of that earlier in the week. Uh, On today's episode, want to get more into uh, some of the starting pitching. Zach Wheeler and Zach Eflin will talk about their spring debuts and what I'm expecting from them this season as well as some injury updates and getting some guys back here. Again, had the debut of Reese Hoskins this week, some good news in the JT Realmuto injury world. Uh, So we'll get to that and a whole lot more on this episode of Locked on Phillies. But I wanted to start here because as you look at this Phillies roster and you enter spring training, the question always is, well, how many spots are really up for grabs? You know, you look at the bullpen, you say, all right, there's a few guys who are on the fringe, could go either way, competing to make the team. And I know not everyone's just competing to make the major league roster here in camp. There are guys looking to be placed at certain levels of pro ball within the minor leagues and what their role is going to be in the rotation or in the bullpen, stuff like that. But the one really big question mark as it pertains to the opening day lineup and this roster to start the season is who's going to be in center field. And again, I've talked about it a thousand different ways, as have many other people Uh, who talk or cover about this team have, that there's a number of guys here in the running. And it seems like there's actually been a change in the dynamic here in the past 48 hours, I'll say. So the update on center field is the following. The following guys are kind of all in the mix. You got Adam Hazley, Roman Quinn, Scott Kingry, Odubel Herrera, and now the likes of Mickey Moniak. I'll get to that in a second about the possibility of him. But The news of the day, in terms of the injury world, Adam Hazley, who, again, had played some center field for the Phillies last year, he suffers a moderate groin strain, and he will be out for four weeks, which, if you're doing the math, barring a miracle, looks like he will not be in center field to start the season, and that's a huge, huge blow for Hazley, who was competing for this center field job. Now, Hazley in spring, two for seven, had a home run in his first at-bat in spring last Sunday, was hoping to continue any success that he was having there. Again, Para hits a home run. Was continuing, or was hoping to continue that throughout spring and have more success throughout spring so that not only to get the opening day job, but as I've said, maybe Girardi uses a platoon this season, as we've seen in the past. Maybe, I don't know who in his mind, he's kind of been kind of quiet about anyone who he feels has a lead. You figure you look at a guy like Roman Quinn. I just don't think he has what it takes to be an everyday player where he's getting four at-bats a game. But I think he deserves a roster spot as like a bench pinch runner type of guy. But of course, Girardi's going to say all the right things and say all these guys are competing and we're going to look to see what we have in spring. You take a guy like Scott Kingery, who played horribly last season. What can he do? And he's two for nine with a home run and three strikeouts here in the early returns in spring. And of course... The name that's, you know, has a lot of controversy around it is Odubel Herrera. Now, I don't want to root for this guy. I don't condone what he did. I would prefer 
him not be in the mix. But I want to go back to something that Matt Breen said on the podcast when I had him on just about a week ago or so, or maybe it was two weeks ago at this point, and where he said that the reason why Odubel Herrera is back is basically because they don't have a baseball reason to part ways with him. Maybe it's the center field dynamic that's going on right now, or entering spring training, rather, where you have Adam Hazley, and you have Scott Kingry, and you have Roman Quinn, and you have maybe now even Mickey Moniak, and you say, well, none of them are bona fide starting center fielders. They didn't go out and sign George Springer this past offseason. They didn't go and get Jackie Bradley Jr. this past offseason. So therefore, the door is open, and they can't really justify to O'Double's camp or the Players Association that they can part ways with them. So they bring O'Double to camp. Maybe they're secretly rooting that he gives them a baseball reason to part ways with him. But if you're leaning in that direction, you're looking at this Hazley injury today. That's one less guy he's got to get through. And O'Double in his early returns in spring, three for six with a home run and an emphatic bat flip in yesterday's game because he knew he killed it. It feels like Odubel Herrera is going to force them into a really, really uncomfortable decision, I'll say. A, a decision that a lot of people are not going to be happy with. You know, if you're saying you're giving him a chance based upon his baseball, you know, the integrity of his baseball play, and that he's done all the right things, in your opinion, to try and rehab himself as a person. You heard, He apologized to the entire camp just the other day. A number of different players have had slightly varying takes on the matter. Bryce Harper spoke on it today. I thought it was somewhat interesting if you want to take some time to go check that out. But so he's done, if you believe in second chances for this type of thing, and I think this is a really serious offense, and I don't want that type of guy on my baseball team, period. I think I've made that clear. But he's giving them reasons to show that he still has ability in terms of his baseball play here in the early going. And the fact that Adam Hazley is no longer in the mix, at least for that opening day job, or based upon whatever is going to be evaluated here throughout the rest of spring training, it's a win for Odubel Herrera. Now, another guy I wanted to highlight is Mickey Moniak, who, listening to Joe Girardi talk during the broadcast today, maybe he's all talk, but he truly believes this is another guy who could compete not only for a roster spot, but for some starting time in center field. Again, Moniak came up last year, three for 14, four walks, six strikeouts, nothing special. He had already been getting the label of a bust while he was in the minor leagues, not really performing to the same caliber that his draft counterparts, draft counterparts were across baseball. And of course, he was the number one pick in the draft back in 2016. So with that comes raised expectations. But Mickey Moniak, here in spring, Girardi talking about what good at bats he's put together. He's three for seven. He struck out twice, but he also had two home runs the other day in the game against the Yankees. So does he enter the equation for the center field job? Every time I feel like I get a sense for who's going to be the center fielder, something changes. I thought maybe it could have been Adam Hazley, and now he's hurt. Doesn't look like he'll even be back, and he's not going to get time in spring to prove himself. You look at Scott Kingry. He was bad last year, one of the worst players in all of baseball last year, frankly, and he comes out in spring, had, hits a home run, he's got two hits, he's already struck out three times, that's something that needs to change, and he's been nothing short of disappointing since he's come up to the big league club. All right, so maybe you see the biggest question mark, again, going back to a guy like Odubel, he's playing well, 
Does the fact that fans are in the stands alter their decision-making there at all? The fact that they are going they would have to announce Odubel Herrera's name in the starting lineup, Dan Baker would have to read off that name, and the public perception within the crowd may not be the type of reaction they're looking for to open up the season while they're welcoming fans back. And again, Mickey Moniak, a guy who had the label of a bust for a while, is there still an everyday player out there? Maybe not a number one pick, but is there an everyday player out there as this center field competition moves on here with the injury to Adam Hazley. So that's how I see the update in center field going on right now. Again, we have a lot more spring to go through. And just because someone gets the nod in opening day doesn't mean that isn't a platoon, doesn't mean they're not walking on thin ice. But the center field competition just got even more interesting this week, I would say. Given the way Oduble has played, given the injury to Hazley, and given the fact that Moniak is putting together good at bats, homer twice, and Girardi, at least publicly, is stating that he's got a shot just like the rest of them. When we come back, wanted to get back into the starting pitching as I did in episode one here today, uh, talk some Zach Wheeler, some Zach Eflin, and a whole lot more. But first, I wanted to tell you about my friends at betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, the NHL, and of course, spring training are now all in full swing. BetOnline, it even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props are almost on almost anything that you can physically imagine. BetOnline, it has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds, and it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus when you use the promo code LOCKEDON. Again, use the promo code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N for a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. It's betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. More of the Locked On Phillies podcast coming right up, but first, I wanted to tell you about another podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network that you are sure to enjoy. Look, I'm sitting here covering everything you need to know about the Phillies right here on Locked On Phils, but what about the rest of sports? Well, now the Locked On Podcast Network, we have you covered. It's Locked On Today. Locked On Today, it's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski. It's all the sports news you need every morning in less than 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Wanted to get more into the starting pitching that we had earlier in the week. Again, highlighted Matt Moore and Chase Anderson in part one of the episode today. If you haven't already heard that, I highly recommend going and checking that out. But earlier in the week, we had, I'll call the the higher end of the rotation, the two and three for the Phillies going in two games that were not televised. So, of course, my access to seeing how these guys pitched was not quite as good as when the games are on TV, but they're still on radio. You can still see videos thanks to social media and 21st century cell phone technology, as well as, you know, just read the box score and see how they fared and read comments about what all the guys are saying. So, of course, I'm referring to Zach Wheeler and Zach Eflin. Wheeler winning the game on Tuesday. He goes two innings, uh, allows just one hit, did walk a couple of guys, struck out a couple of guys, allows no runs. Zach Eflin, again, two innings pitch. That seems to be the status quo for all the starters here the first time through the rotation. One hit, three strikeouts, and zero runs. Joe Girardi lining up his rotation, what I expect to be the rotation to start the season. He had Nola go on Monday. Of course, Ivanova pitched on Sunday, did not pitch well at all. With the exception of him, I'm taking 
the five starters as I see them to start the season, barring injury or some massive change or something like that. Beginning on Monday, he had Nola go. On Tuesday, he had Wheeler. Wednesday, Eflin. And then the past couple of days, on Thursday against the Yankees, it was Matt Moore. And on Friday against the Pirates, it was Chase Anderson. Zach Wheeler and Zach Eflin, these are two guys who had very, very good years uh, back in 2020. If you want to first take a guy like Zach Wheeler, who, of course, was acquired uh, previously pitched from with the Mets, and he had the lowest ERA of his entire career in the year 2020. Granted, it was a shortened season, but in 11 starts, he had a 2.92 ERA. He got that whip all the way down to a 1.169, and he struck out 6.7 batters per nine, which is less than he's seen in the past three seasons, where while he was in New York 2017, 18, and 19, he had an 8.488 and nine strikeouts per nine, respectively. But he really kind of found more success, again, in a shortened season. And I wanted to give you a little bit of his pitch breakdown. If he really went back to his fastball more last year, and he went to his sinker less, which is kind of a reverse of what Eflin did a year ago. And I'll kind of do a little compare and contrast here in a second. But again, Wheeler has the lowest ERA of his career. Granted, it was a lesser season, but they need these two guys at the top of the rotation to be really, really good. Look, as I highlighted, I think it was a couple of weeks ago now, this rotation has the potential to be a bigger concern than the bullpen does. I mean, we saw, we know, we know we've seen Aaron Nola. We know what he can be. And despite his struggles down the stretch of the season, we all believe he's the ace of the staff. And funny enough, of the five guys in the rotation, who I believe will start the season in the rotation, that seems to be the case here. Aaron Nola was the only one allowed runs this entire week. He pitched on Monday. He allowed two runs. Eflin goes two scoreless on Wednesday. Wheeler the day before that, two scoreless on Tuesday. Anderson and Moore on Friday and Thursday, respectively, followed up with two innings scoreless each. Okay, so early returns, starting rotation looking pretty good, whatever amount of stock you want to put in that. But going back to last season, Zach Wheeler, as I mentioned, he threw his fastball about 10% more than he had back in 2019. Again, he used to throw the fastball at about a 30% rate. Now he throws that fastball, or last year he threw it 42% of the time. And then you take a look at his sinker, which he threw 29% of the time in 2019, almost just a percentage point lower than the fastball. And last year he lowered that to 23%. So he kind of went in the opposite direction. He was a fastball heavier pitcher. Maybe that accounts for you know, he got a lower ERA, so it seemed to be effective in a smaller sample size, but he also got less strikeouts. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because, funny enough, Zach Eflin, who is a guy who I've highlighted on this podcast and saying last year was the first time he got his ERA down below four. Maybe that wasn't a fair way of looking at it, because I like Zach Eflin. I think they think very highly of Zach Eflin within the organization. I think very highly of Zach Eflin. He has the potential to be a very legitimate number three and maybe even pitch his way into more of that number two type of role more long term based upon the progressions we've seen over the course of his career. Look, he entered in with the Phillies in 2016. In 11 starts, he's got a 554 ERA. 2017, his ERA climbs north of six. But in the past three seasons, his ERA has come down by a pretty steady margin each time, 436 in 2018, 413 in 2019, and a 397 in 2020. That's taken you know, 0.2 off that ERA each time. So if we're following the same pattern here, maybe he gets it down to a 3.75. Maybe that's within the realm of possibility. But even if he does start to level out 
if he can keep that ERA below four, have command of the zone and command of his pitches, and just flat-out confidence out there on the mound, nothing seems to phase this guy. I made a joke also earlier in the week on this podcast just about how kind of bland Aaron Nola was in his interview, and I've made comments about that uh, on Twitter as well, which is kind of funny. Just to think of, like, it seems like nothing phases him, just a very laid-back personality. Zach Eflin's the exact same way. Like, never too high, never too low, is always very even-keeled. That's an important thing for a pitcher. I mean, we all love guys with emotion. But to be able to withstand adversity so, so well and not let it visibly affect you or your body language, I think is really, really important. Anyway, the reason why I'm bringing up kind of these pitch breakdowns is I mentioned Wheeler. He relied more heavily on the fastball, less on the sinker. Well... Zach Eflin, another guy who's got a sinker as a big part of his arsenal, and of course a four-seam fastball, the sinker went way up in usage last year. In 2019, he threw the sinker at a 20 21% rate. Last year, he threw it 51% of the time, a 30% increase in how much he was using the sinker last year. His fastball went down from 34% down below 10%. He was a huge, huge sinker-reliant sinker pitcher, I should say, a year ago. It got his ERA the lowest it's ever been. His strikeout rate was the highest it's ever been, coming in at a whopping 10.7, which when you consider that with the 7.1 he put up the year before, striking out more than three, close to four more batters per nine innings he pitched. Granted, small sample size, but he had a really, really big year in 2020. You'd like to think he has the confidence that he can continue that in the 2021 over the course of a full season. Again, I have confidence that he can be a good pitcher. I think it's huge that he is a good pitcher because if we see him decline back to the old ways of a couple of years ago, this Phillies rotation is going to have struggles. But right now, he's in the top three. I'm really, really excited to see him kind of progress here. Again, this is a guy they got from the Dodgers years ago in the Jimmy Rollins trade just for I mean, Rollins had nothing left. It didn't make any sense of the timeline of where the organization was. So for a guy that they basically got at just very low cost just to bring up through the organization, develop him himself, we all know that the Phillies' development, especially when it comes to pitching, is not always something uh, to write home about. So anytime you do have a pitcher that, not technically a homegrown guy because he wasn't drafted here, but has only ever pitched in the majors in Philadelphia and came up through the minor league system after having been traded here, it's really nice to see the progression of Zach Eflin. And if they could get him, like I said, into that three spot, number two spot, that is one of the main factors in this Phillies team competing. I truly believe that'll be working with another new pitching coach. He's had a new pitching coach every single year he's been in the big leagues. Again, all these guys speak highly of Caleb Cotham. I don't remember the last time a new pitching coach came in spring training and wasn't highly spoken of, but you get my point. Zach Wheeler, Zach Eflin, we know Noel is a stud. We're hoping we can get strong performances from Moore and Anderson. But these two guys in the middle really, really need to pitch well. And I think the potential is certainly there. And it's something to get genuinely excited about, in particular Eflin, because we've seen this progression of going from mediocre to less mediocre to good to very, very good a season ago. And it you can point right to kind of his change in the arsenal of his pitch, having more confidence in that sinker, and it certainly really worked out for him. Lowest ERA, highest strikeout rate, and by the way, the lowest whip of his career last year in 2020. Would love to see that continue into 2021. 
More of the Locked on Phillies podcast coming right up where I'll discuss the timetables and return of Reese Hoskins earlier this week, as well as when we might see JT Realmuto back. So all of that coming up on the other side. But first, a word from our sponsors. Third and final segment of the Locked on Phillies podcast, part two of the Locked on Phillies podcast episode here on Friday, March 5th, coming right up. But first, I want to tell you about another podcast right here on the Locked on Network that you are sure to enjoy. It's Locked on Fantasy Baseball. Fantasy Baseball Addicts, you now have a new resource to help you get an advantage in your own Fantasy Baseball League. Locked on Fantasy Baseball, it's a daily fantasy baseball podcast hosted by veteran fantasy analyst Scott Cullen who uses data and nearly two decades of fantasy baseball experience to offer the strategies and waiver wire pickups that lead to league wins. Season-long fantasy, dynasty leagues, DFS, it does not matter. Locked on Fantasy Baseball, it covers it all. Subscribe to Locked on Fantasy Baseball wherever you get your podcasts. A few more things I wanted to uh, wrap up the podcast here with today. Uh, One thing is actually just about, I forgot to mention, Vince Velasquez. Uh, thus far, I said I would get to him. Forgot to get him, get to him in the earlier segment. Velasquez so far in spring, two innings pitched, three strikeouts. Uh, a personal statement and some personal news from the offices of Dan Wilson. Your locked on Phillies podcast hope is I locked on Phillies podcast host rather is that I absolutely refuse to get excited about Vince Velasquez again. Uh, we have seen we're now entering you know how many different tries with this guy been here since 2015 and he's living off that one game where he had 16 strikeouts refuse to get excited for Vince Velasquez. Uh, although I will say objectively speaking, I think we've always all, they're not always, but recently in the past few years, a lot of the fan base, a lot of people around the team think he would actually do better in a bullpen role. And unless they go to that six man rotation at some point that I've somewhat speculated on uh, entering the season, I think this is finally the year that they maybe actually commit to him in the bullpen role. I guess that's a tad, you know, that that's some light at the end of the tunnel or some some foreshadowing light that there could be positive, more positive things ahead for Vince Velasquez is ultimately what I'm trying to say. Refuse to get excited about him in spring. He comes out looking great in spring. It feels like every year we always get excited. We always are ultimately let down. So I'm not getting excited about Vince Velasquez, but... I do think if you know if he's already going to be here, I was very vocally adamant about the fact that I didn't want him back on that $4 million deal they gave him. They decided to bring him back. If he's going to be back, he should at least be in the bullpen. It seems like Matt Moore and Chase Anderson are going to be the rotation guys. And again, barring an injury, barring a six-man rotation situation with COVID or rainouts or whatever would cause a more congested schedule, that Vince Velasquez, for the most part, will be coming out of the pen and not getting the ball to actually start games. Between him and a guy like Spencer Howard, who they ultimately want to be a starter, but Girardi was talking about it in his post-game press conference today, actually, that he could see Howard going to the bullpen and then returning to a starter's role next year, again, coming off an injury, coming off a year where he did not shine as bright as they had hoped. Maybe they go to him in the bullpen. Again, he had some really nasty-looking stuff today, 96 miles an hour dot to get a strikeout to end his outing. Maybe you're looking at the two of them out of the bullpen, and then a lot of the guys I think you saw today, including Spencer Howard, could be guys you see just making up this 2021 bullpen. Again, Archie Bradley, Hector Neris, Jose Alvarado, Connor Brogdon, Sam Coonrod, Jojo Romero, add in a Velasquez, add in a Brandon Kinsler. That sounds like your 2021 bullpen to me, 
which again, as a whole, I think is at the very least on paper, miles ahead of where that was last year. So that's just something else to keep an eye on as well. But the last thing I did want to get to here today is kind of the injury returns. Phillies received some good news, or at least made public some good news this morning when they announced that JT Realmuto, after announcing his thumb fracture a couple of weeks ago, he is now in a splint, not a hard cast anymore. Again, this is where they had hoped he'd be by this point. It seems like he is progressing nicely. He's ramping up baseball activities down in Clearwater, essentially as we speak. And now he's, again, in a splint, no longer in a hard cast. So it seems like opening day is certainly a real possibility. They all are talking positively and don't seem to be all too concerned about his injury. And, you know, that's obviously a really good sign considering he was signed to a five-year, $115.5 million contract this past offseason. The hope is that he'll be back for opening day, if not shortly thereafter that. Who knows? Maybe we'll even get him in Clearwater. Another guy who we got in Clearwater, certainly earlier than I expected, is Reese Hoskins. Before I talk any more about his return from injury, injury, I should say, I do want to give a shout out to David Mayberry, who actually tweeted uh, in response to me posting the podcast the other day when I crossed over with Aram Layton from Locked on Marlins, that during that podcast, and actually in a few other podcast appearances and right here on Locked on Phillies, I had been incorrectly referring to Reese Hoskins' procedure as Tommy John surgery. It was incorrectly reported at the time by a number of news outlets that he had gotten Tommy John surgery. Uh, it was actually an internal brace repair, and I had actually read that since, skipped over it, and didn't draw the distinction in my head. So thank you to David Mayberry uh, for correcting me. I do genuinely appreciate it. And of course, thank you so much uh, for listening, because I do it for, you know, my, my listeners out there is w- what keeps me going here every day. And it's nice. it is nice to know that people are tuned in and locked into what I have to say. It is genuinely a good feeling. In, in all that considered, Reese Hoskins back still sooner than I actually initially expected. At the time, you remember back in October, they were like, we'll even be ready for opening day. Well, he got his debut, granted as a DH, not at first base yet, but he got his debut the other, or yesterday this was at this point, going one for three. He got a nice hit the other way. I mean, if you're a fan of just like pure hitting, you heard me raving about Alec Bohm's swing earlier. An underrated highlight is he got a nice RBI single this was a 98-mile-an-hour pitch on the outside part of the plate, and he just rips it the other way, makes it makes a nice, loud sound right off the bat. I mean, it's everything was just so textbook about it. And this is a guy in Reese Hoskins where, if you remember in prior years, sometimes it feels like you know he's swinging for the fences too much or he's trying to pull everything. Doesn't try and do too much with this pitch. Hit it where it's pitched. It's the way a hitting coach would tell you to hit it 100 times out of 100. Again, a 98-mile-an-hour fastball. On the outside corner, he goes down and gets it, rips it into the right center field, and he knocks a run home. So that was cool to see as well, and it's nice to know that he is okay and he's going to have a few weeks to progress here before opening day. And again, the expectation certainly at this point is that he will be at first base with the glove on his hand, returning for the first time since uh, mid to early to mid-September, I'll call it last year. I think the official date was September 12th when he suffered that injury, or at least when the diagnosis had come in. So that's kind of the update on injuries. That's the update of where this Phillies team is. Again, a lot of positives from this week. You certainly all know that I'm not shy of criticizing this team. I'm sure I will be, you know, find some negatives as we go throughout spring. If a guy does not look good, I'll tell it to you that way. But today, it's just a lot of positives from this week. Cautious optimism. Again, they're playing 
in spring training. They're playing against a lot of minor league guys. Today, they're playing against the Pirates, not expected to be a really good team anyway. But I can only work with what I'm seeing. It's obviously great to have live baseball back on the TV. And it is great to see the guys playing so well now. And the hope is that they can carry this into the season once they're playing against big league talent that it feels like they actually have an edge and something that other teams are going to have to worry about, whether it's a strengthened bullpen, a strengthened bullpen, a strengthened rotation, or just a lineup that again tied for the fifth most runs in baseball last season. That's going to do it for today's two-part edition of the Locked on Phillies podcast. Again, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at LO underscore Phillies. You can follow myself at Dan underscore Wilson 4. Have a great weekend, everyone. I'll talk to you next week.